Have you, um, <clears throat> when you were reading your Bible, have you ever had those moments where you were just like, what? <laughs> you were just like, what? what is this talking about? Like you'll be reading something in Exodus and you go, God did what? Right? Or you, be so, you, you go back to Genesis and you go, who married who? And had kids with who? Like, and it's like, it's like a never ending drama, right? It's, it's like a soap opera of, of the Bible. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I just read that. And then because you can't believe you just read that, what do you do? You go back two chapters and you have to read it from the beginning again and to understand it. Even if you get to the point that where you stopped, you're like, I still don't get it. I still don't get it. And you read it five times and you're like, I don't get it. You know, I've been reading the Bible for a long time now. And even today, I'm just like, God, like, I, I don't get this passage. What does this mean? Why are you saying this? And why are you doing this? Right? And you just go, I don't get it. I don't get why God had to, had to destroy a whole town for one person, or, or I don't get why, you know, this person had to marry this person, or I don't get why the Israelites just couldn't stay away from the golden calf. Like, why? Right? Like, why couldn't you just stay away? Or I don't get why God had to wipe out all humanity. Why? So for the next few weeks, hold on to your seats here and online, because we're going to go through this Bible, and we're going to try to understand the, 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 the what do you call it, the, the, this series, and to understand, like, the meaning behind why we don't get the things that we don't get when we read the Bible. So before we go on, I want to give you our theme verse, our theme verse for this whole series, and make sure that we're all on the same page. It comes from 2 Timothy 3.16. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me give you a little background why Paul wrote this to Timothy, okay? When Paul wrote this, Paul was not in a good place. In 2 Timothy, Paul was definitely not in a good place, okay? He was prisoned for the second time, and he was basically waiting to be martyred. That's, this is Paul's situation right now when we're reading this, all right? And he, he even says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, that he's saying, my time has come. And even in this certain death, Paul... I don't know how he does it, but he's still preparing Timothy to be the next carrier of the torch of the gospel of Jesus. And in chapter two, uh, in chapter one, and we'll just briefly go over this, but in chapter one of Timothy, uh, Paul writes that few church members are abandoning God and following false teachings. And in chapter two, Paul encourages Timothy to endure the hardships of opposition, the disappointments of seeing his friends falling away from their faith. And, and he's encouraging Timothy to say, hey, remain faithful in Jesus. Paul encourages Timothy to be, to be an unashamed steward of the gospel. Then in chapter 3, Paul says that difficult times will come. Let me read this for us. It comes from 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, reviled, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossip, without self-control, brutal, haters of good. He's not done yet. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, 
holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Are we sure that Paul is writing 2,000 years ago? Are we sure that he's writing 2,000 years ago? Because it feels like to me that he's writing to us today. Paul continues to write to Timothy that people will, okay, not may, he, they will persecute anybody who tries to live a godly way to follow Jesus. Then finally, Paul writes these words in verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God breathed. Paul is saying because scripture is God, the scripture God breathed into it, it is essential for teaching people, correcting people, rebuking people of sin, right? Training people in righteousness. This very word breathed by God and written by man is what equips you and I to do the good work. And this theme verse that we're reading, it's not for us to say, amen, that's a really good verse. It's not a passive verse. It's actually an active verse where we need to take action. We need to study the word. We need to read the word so that you and I could be equipped to share the hope of Jesus Christ to those around us. That's what this word is for. That's what this theme verse is all about. It's an active verse. So understand this. Every single word in this book is God-breathed. Okay, let me give you, let me, uh, for all of you uh, studious people out there, let me give you some um, Greek and Hebrew words for this, okay? God breathing Greek is called theopneustos. Okay, theopneustos. I know it's a lot harder to say. Theopneustos, all right? And, and in Hebrew, God breathed is nafach, all right? And, and so when we have these words, these, these words, God breathed, is related, meaning both words are related, and, and this word that God breathed was also used all the way back in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. This, this word that we're using here in 2 Timothy is the same word that God breathed life into Adam to come to life. That same breath is used to describe how this word came to be and to be written by man, See, when God breathes, everything comes to life. Everything comes to life. Even our dead, sin, dead, dead selves that we have. Thus making this word that we read a very living and active word, just as it's in Hebrews 4.12. It's living and active. It's not dead. It's living and active because God breathed into it. Now, without getting into too much detail, um, you have to understand this. Not every single word in this book is like dictated by God. Meaning like, God wasn't like, okay, John, it's time to write the Gospel of John. All right, sit down and get your pen and paper out. All right, and God's like, all right, in the beginning. And John goes, in the beginning. All right, and God goes, was the word. And John goes, was the word. And God goes, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And John goes, the word was God. Can you repeat the second part again? Like, like it, it didn't work like that, you know? It, it, it didn't work like that. It's, it's a God divinely influenced the human authors of the scriptures in such a way that the words that they wrote were the very heartbeat of God. It's the very heartbeat of God. And that's the beautiful thing about the scriptures, isn't it? That's the beautiful thing about this Bible that we have because the, every book in here has a different personality, different narrative, yet it's the same Jesus in it. It's the same Jesus in it. I mean, for example, take a look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different people wrote it, four different narratives, Four different personalities, yet who is it about? It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And yes, for those of you wondering, even the genealogy, 
Okay, <laughs> even the genealogy. Yes, for, if you think that the genealogy is boring, here's why it's important. Because the genealogy points to Jesus. It's not that boring. It's just names of people just don't fall asleep when you read it, you know. It, this whole book is about Jesus. Hey, here's the thing. We're really good at um, understanding that the New Testament is living and active in our lives. We're really good at that. We're like, yes, I understand that. But, but there's no way that sometimes we can understand. It's like, how can the Old Testament be living and active? How? And we don't just skip the Old Testament because we think it's boring or hard to read. Sometimes it is, but it goes beyond that. And I, I think the truth is, when we read the Old Testament, I, I think it frustrates us. I, I think it angers us. Why? Because it really does paint a picture of God's wrath. It paints a picture of God's wrath that we weren't prepared for. We're like, why would God do that? And so like I said in the beginning, you, you, we read some of these Old Testament stories and you're just baffled that God would do that, right? And God would unleash his wrath like that. So today uh, we're going to read some stories <laughs> about God's wrath and how he unleashes his wrath amongst the people of just his creation. And just a warning before we dive in, when we read the Old Testament, we tend to have a, a fiction veil over our eyes. Um, just a reminder that these stories in the Bible are real and it actually happened. All right. These aren't just like stories like Little Red Riding Hood. Okay. This, this is actually a historical context of what, it's historical events of what happened. So let's remove those fiction veils that we have and let's read this. You guys ready? All right. First, Genesis 6, 17. Everybody knows this story. Behold, even I, I, I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall perish. Who knows what this story is about? Yes, everybody should raise their hands and be like, this is about the flood, right? This is about the water just consuming the earth. And the more you read it, you're like, why? <laughs> why? Why all human beings? Like, why? God, why? Why would you do that? Why would God do such a thing? All right, let's go to the next one. Genesis 19, 12 through 13. The two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord and that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. What is this story about? Sodom and Gomorrah. Most, one of the most infamous stories about God's wrath. Okay, if, again, you didn't have to grow up in the church to understand about Sodom and Gomorrah because it's, it's, you know, it's that crazy. So long story short, right? God destroys two cities with fire and brimstones. He destroys two cities with fire and brimstones with many people in it. And let me give you a little historical background because I don't think we understand the historical background of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities out of five on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, okay? On the eastern side of the Dead Sea. And Bible actually talks about these five cities in Genesis uh, 13, 12, referring as the cities of the valley, the cities of the valley. If you want to, you know, go and look up that, you can definitely do that. And we have this idea that, that Sodom and Gomorrah were like tiny little cities, right? Because we see pictures of it and it's like only showing you a little city like this. And we're like, oh yeah, it's probably just a little village or a town. No, it's a city, okay? The archaeologists have found that about 
500,000 burial grounds in just one city, all right? And, 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 and uh, cemeteries and, and skeletal remains. So you combine those two cities together, Sodom and Gomorrah, how many pe- people get approximately? A million. Let me give you two in the context. Just in Mecklenburg County, you and I, we contain about 1.1 million people. And God, with fire and brimstone, destroyed the whole city of Mecklenburg, the whole county of Mecklenburg. Does that change the story narrative a little bit for you? This isn't just like few people that got destroyed. This is like a million people got destroyed. Again, we look at this and we know the historical context. We go, what? How could you, God? I thought you were loving. I thought you were compassionate. Now, so far, we've only went over the uh, familiar stories. Okay, let me go over the things that we don't really read about. We just kind of skim over, okay? But trust me, you're gonna, your mind's going to be like, Poof, all right? All right, Deuteronomy, chapter 20, verses 16 through 17. This is God's commandment. I hope you know what that means. Only in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. What? But you shall utterly destroy, utterly destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The Lord your God has commanded you. I'm sorry, what? This is God's commandment to the Israelites? Are you kidding me? That he said to utterly destroy everyone? Are we sure this is the same God that we serve today? Are we sure this is the same God that we worshiped this morning? Saying how beautiful he is? Hope you're not too discouraged because I'm not done yet. All right. <clears throat> Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. God's telling prophet Jeremiah to not lift up a prayer to God, or God's not even just going to listen to them. Imagine if God told you that he was never going to listen to you ever again. (laughs) I don't know about you, man, but that, that would destroy me completely. How could God just stop listening to his people? Last one. Let's read the last one. Ezekiel 5.11. So as I live, declares the Lord, Surely, because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable idols and with all your abominations, therefore, I will also withdraw and my eye will have no pity and I will not spare. Let me tell you this in today's phrase, okay? Let me make it in the Shin's version. I'm done with you. I don't, have, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I don't care what happens to you anymore. I, you could, your house could burn down. Your family could break apart. I don't care if a nation came to your nation and destroyed your nation. I'm not going to do anything. I have zero pity on you. This is God speaking. This is God speaking. How could God do this? And I, I can't, and on top of that, I can't get into all of it, but all the battles, that, all the blood and gore that happens from Joshua to 2 Kings, and that's, that's, that's a pretty hefty chunk of the Bible, right? I mean, that chunk of the Bible looks, makes, uh, you know, makes uh, John Wick movies and Rambo movies look like Disney movies. I'm telling you. I mean, it's just, it's, it's blood and gore, and you're just going, why and how could God do this? Anyone just discourage it? Because as I was preparing this message, I'm going, ah, 
God, why and how? I know I understand that this word is living and active, but I just can't get myself to understand it. Because how is that living and active in our lives? Because that's a question, right? How is it living and active in our lives? So what now? Do we just get frustrated and angry and confused and, and just close our Bibles and be done with it? Because we, we can't understand it and never bother with it again? Do we just forget that these historical stories are not in the Bible? Because they're in the Bible. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, and I mean truly honest, we don't put this God-breathed, God-inspired, living and active word away because we don't want to hear about it. Okay? We don't, it's not that we don't want to hear about these things. Not because it's bloody and gory. Not because, not because it's like, oh, it's so boring. It's, it's not that. I think we put it away because we don't want to know that side of God. We don't want to know that side of God. Because for so long that we put God in this little box that we have in our own comprehension, that we concluded that God is loving and caring and compassionate, and that is the way he should be, and that's the God I serve, we're basically telling God who he should be. We put the word away because we don't want to be associated with the whole God, the judgment God, the destroying God, the wrathful God, the, the vengeful God. See, we don't have a problem with the story. We have a problem with the author. We have a problem that he is God. We have a problem that he is God. The fact that he is God and he can do whatever he wants we got a problem with that, don't we? And that's where we draw the line and say, I, I don't want any more of it. I'm done with it because I can't believe God did that. Well, he's God, right? You see this, I don't get it statement has an underlying issue. This, this how in the world could God do that statement has an underlying issue of not knowing who God is. And the question that we've been asking this whole time when we're reading those stories is, how could God do these things? And I've asked that question so many times myself, but here's a real and hard question. How could God, the creator of all human beings, the creator of all things, the author and the finisher of our faith, the lion of Judah, how could God not do those things? How could God not do those things? He can do these things because he is God. See, yes, he is loving. Yes, he is compassionate. Yes, he is caring. But he is so much more than that. He is a God who cannot be contained in our own comprehension. He is a God who, who cannot be understood by our own, our own understanding. See, he is a God who cannot be controlled by our own desire to control. He is a God who cannot be commanded because of our own selfishness over what we want to see. See, the creator, the author of life, the, the, the perfect of our, uh, the finisher and the perfect of our faith, the line of Judah, Yahweh, the ancient of days, everlasting father, great I am. He is, and he is the I am. See, he is omniscient, he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent, he is self-sufficient, he is self-existent. His existence is not, and he's doing 
is not dependent on you or I. It's not. Because he is God. He is the I am. See, Revelation 1.8 says this, that he is the Alpha and the Omega. If you don't know what that means, from the beginning and the end. Who is and was and who is to come. So who are we? Who are we? Just the creation of God. To tell God who he should be. Who are we? And that's the hard truth to hear. It really is. That's the hard truth to hear, but it's so necessary for us to hear it. Because guess what? We cannot pick and choose which side of God we want to serve. We cannot choose to only serve the loving, the compassionate, the caring side of God, the forgiving side of God, the creating side of God. If we have decided to live our lives for God, if we have decided to serve him and honor him and glorify him, that means that we also serve a destroying, a judging, and even a damning God. And that is the hard truth. And that nobody likes to hear that. And you're probably sitting in, sitting in your seats going, what? Because we can't choose which God we want to serve because he is a whole God. See, two go hand in hand. And here's why, brothers and sisters, because God's wrath is his love and action for us. God's wrath is his love in action for us. From the stories that I mentioned earlier, the flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, God commanding everyone to be killed, right? God stopped listening to the Israelites, God leaving his temple. Do you know why these things have happened? There's one common thread, and it's because of sin, right? Because people were evil, because people rebelled against God, because people disobeyed God, because people tried to be God. And do you want to know, want to know why these things are happening around the world, not just in our backyard? Well, it's a consequence of sin. That's the truth to it, and that's the only truth. <laughs> it's because of sin. It's his wrath is his love in action for us. So the question that we need to answer today or try to understand today and that remains is how, right? How is any of this, any of the things that are going on this earth, any of the things that are in this Bible, how is any of this is his action, his love in action for us. Well, let's go back to the stories that we read earlier and, and, and see. Genesis 6, 11 through 12. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Why did God bring the flood? Because people were corrupt, evil and corrupt. They were violent. It was God's wrath against very sin that has entered the earth. And God chose to wipe out the earth, well, because he's God. And you're probably wondering, how in the world is this love in action for us? What happened after the flood? God made a covenant with Noah and his descendants. That means you and I, okay? If you haven't caught that by now, okay? Because literally Noah is the only one alive in this family, okay? So you and I are his Noah's descendants, that means that, that, that he would never destroy, he made a comment that he would never destroy the earth again, right, with the flood, and gave us a rainbow as a reminder in Genesis 9-11. Furthermore, 
The most important reason why it was his love and action for us is that God saved that very genealogy to bring Jesus 2,000 years later. Just kind of marinate on that for a second because we're going to keep going through this. Genesis 19.13. For we're about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. These two cities were destroyed because sin, because they were evil. They did detestable things. And I don't want to give you the details of what was happening because we've got some young audiences in here. Parents, I'll leave that up to you, okay? <laughs> That's your job for you to go through that story. But the historical event is a reminder for us just how much God hates sin. How much God hates sin. Again, how in the world is, his, is this action of God love for us? Who did God save? God saved Lot, didn't he? And here's the lineage of Lot. Lot has two sons through his daughters. Again, that's another sermon for another day. Okay? We'll, that's, that's another one, okay? We'll say that. He had Moab and Ammon. And these two, uh, the, the, both of his sons became a nation. The Ammonites and the Moabites. Okay? And through the Moabites, Ruth was born. And who did Ruth marry? Boaz. Okay, good. All right. You know your Bibles. Yes. All right. So he ma- Ruth married Boaz. And through that line, Jesus is born. Again, how is the question that you're asking? Are you sensing a pattern here yet? Without the lineage of Lot. God could have destroyed Lot. He could have. But he saved him. Why? Let's keep going. Deuteronomy 20, 17. But you shall utterly destroy them. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The Lord God has commanded you. Why would God command this? Well, we have to go to the next verse. So that they might not teach you to do according to their detestable things, which they have done for their gods, so that you would sin against the Lord your God. Because God knew the condition of the Israelites' hearts and told them not to be associated with the other gods, okay? And this is all the way even back in Exodus 23:33. He's saying, don't serve other gods. I mean, how simple is that? So he's reminding them, saying, the Israelites, so the Israelites suffered what was called a uh, um, bandwagon fan syndrome. Is that what we call it? Right? Liking the things that they liked the most at the moment that they don't like the thing that they liked. Does that make sense? Right? So they, they, this, they have the syndrome of like, oh, golden calf, I'm going to go over here. Right? Even the God's like, come back. They're like, no, this is better. God knew of that. God knew of that, and he was going to make sure that nothing was going to destroy his people. Now you're probably wondering, what do you mean? And if you haven't guessed it by now, the covenant that was made between Abraham, the Israelites were a chosen nation, chosen nation of very special people, which who would come through? Jesus would come through. And God was going to make sure nothing was going to taint that line. So he gives, gives a commandment of don't follow other gods because it'll destroy you. Again, are you starting to sense a pattern here? Because the pattern is, God is loving, yes. But he is prepared to make, he was prepared to make a way for his son to be born and become the savior of the world. 
Here's where grace of God shines through. Here's where grace of God shines through in all of this destruction, okay, that we've just read. God wanted his people to see that his wrath is love and action. See, he didn't do all these things in the Bible because he wanted to push his people away. See, he did these things in the Bible so that his people would come back to him. See, all of the Old Testament is God constantly saying, my children, come back to me. Come back to me because the things that the world has offered you, it's nothing. It's, it's fruitless. It's, it's empty. But the things that I can give you, it's fulfilling. Come back to me. I am the one who fills you. That's all Old Testament in, in a nutshell. God loves his creation so much. But when his creation sins and rebels against the creator and turns away, Guess whose heart breaks? Not ours, because we want to do whatever we want. His heart breaks. And because he loves you, you, you and I so much, because he loves you and I so much, that his wrath has to take action upon that sin. Because he is just, because he is loving. To draw us away from that sin and bring us closer to him. God's wrath is his love in action for us. Here's the kicker. This very living and active word of God, this God-breathed word, it points to Jesus. Every single thing in here. Not, not just the pointing up to Jesus of, of who already came and, and have gone to heaven, but it also points to Jesus who's coming back. Everything in your points to Jesus. And I want you to listen to this, part, this next part carefully. That wrath, that same wrath that destroyed the whole humanity because with the flood. That same wrath destroyed the two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, all right? That same wrath which God is commanding the Israelites to say, destroy everybody. That same wrath that saved the lineage to Jesus, that same wrath that points to Jesus, guess what? That same wrath was placed on Jesus on that excruciating cross so that you and I could be saved. It's that same wrath. It points to Jesus. So for us to say, so for us to say that God's wrath is too much for us to bear and for too much for us to understand in the Old Testament, yet accepting the wrath of God on Jesus, we're contradicting ourselves. We are contradicting ourselves and we need to check our hearts. Because that same God in the Old Testament, that same God in the New Testament, the same God today that we worship this morning, raising our saying, hallelujah, Jesus, you're beautiful. God, you're beautiful. The same God of all eternity is the same God today. God's wrath is his love and action for us. So the question remains today is this, as before we close, then why? why? Why even after all these stories of the wrath of God that we heard today? Why in the world does this compel us to love him? Why in the world are we still worshiping this God. Why in the world are we serving him and honoring him? 
C.S. Lewis puts it in the most perfect way in, in the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me read this for us. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, who said anything about safe. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Why? Why do we serve him? Not because he's safe. But he is good. Because he's good. In the midst of what's happening around the world, around in our country, he's good. And that's so hard for us to hear. But he is good. In the midst of what's happening around your family, he is good. In the midst of what's, whatever's happening in your work, he's good. He's good in the bad times. He's good in the good times. He hasn't changed since the before this earth has began. And he won't ever change until we meet him again in heaven. And we go back home. Let's pray together. God, we confess to you this morning that uh, we don't understand it all. We confess to you this morning that we, we don't get it. But there's one thing that we are sure of, God, is that you are good. That you are good. So God, if there's any of us who, who need to come back to you because you are saying, ah, just come back to me. My child, come back to me. God, let us run towards you. If there's anybody in here who's doubting that you are good, Lord, remind them that you are good. God, we love you so, so much. Not because you're, you're compassionate, not because you're, not because you're vengeful, not because you are loving. No, God, we love you because you are God and you are the I am we serve you because you are the I am. God, as we go about this week, Lord, convict us. Continue to transform us in our hearts to become more and more like your son, Jesus, and to understand you better and better. God, we love you. We give you all the glory and honor. And in this, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.